message. Got a ton of stuff I want to talk about today. Um, let me just start off saying this. You know, our goal as a church is that we would help broken people, desperate people, hurting people become fully devoted followers of Christ. That, that's our goal as a church. I mean, if you're wondering why we do church, that's it right there. We're trying to get as many people as possible to a point where they're fully devoted followers of Christ. And so part of this whole thought process that we're going on with this series called Invisible Kingdom is to, to kind of open up the door for that, to see if we can be a part of that in a very real way. So <clears throat> here's what's been happening. We've been walking through this idea that something big is happening right behind the scenes. It's, it's an invisible kingdom. Jesus talked about it all the time. As a matter of fact, I think as you go through scriptures, there's a couple themes that he, he centered on, things, one, two things. Two big things, and I'll just throw them out for you so you can kind of get them around in your own mind. He talked a lot about our possessions and our finances, and there was a reason for that is because those things tend to compete with the other thing that he talked about, and that was the invisible kingdom. He talked about a kingdom of God that was, was a reality, and he, and he talked about the fact that there was a king of this kingdom, and he was the ruler. That, that was part of it. He talked about how in the kingdom, you and I have unique responsibility and then he also talked, and Brent talked a little bit about it last week, is that we have a reward in the process. It's a right now reward and a not yet reward, one that's yet to come. And so all of that is this invisible kingdom. But today, I, I want to shift gears. We're still talking about invisible kingdom, but if you will, this is part two. First part is something big is happening. Part two is be a part of it. Be a part of it. And so we're going to talk about this something big is happening, and we have a unique, special part that we're supposed to play in this thing called the invisible kingdom. And the invisible kingdom is not some far-off, imaginary thing. You know, when I'm talking about this, one of the things I realize, having the conversation, if we will, it's very easy because you can't see it to actually think that it's just kind of way out there in mystical land and it's not really a reality, a part of who we are. But just the opposite is true. It's very real and it's very powerful and it has all these different interactions that we can have with it. And so it's not this imaginary thing, it's, it's tangible. And so we're talking about the tangible side of it in this part of this series. So it's not an imaginary thing, but instead it's something Jesus expects us to be a part of on a daily basis. He wants us to interact with that. Here's our key text. Key text, Matthew chapter 6, and it says this. It says, seek the kingdom of God. Jesus speaking. He's saying, okay, so he's talking about this invisible kingdom, this thing that we can't see, but it's a reality. He said, seek this. Seek the, the kingdom of God above all else. So he puts it in place of priority in each and every one of our lives. It's not supposed to be second, third, fourth, or fifth. Make this first because this is a big deal. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. Today, would you underline that phrase if you, if you can? Live righteously. And he will give you everything you need. So there's this outcome of what happens. When I, when I seek the kingdom and I live righteously, then all of a sudden there's this, there's this reward that God meets my... Yes, Lord? <laughs> And, and he, he meets my needs according to his will, all right? And this is an amazing process that takes place. So here, here's kind of just a little bit out of that verse. To be a part of this thing, this something big, is direct, directly connected to what we seek or what we chase after. 
So you have to ask yourself, what am I chasing after? What am I going after in life? What's most important to me? I mean, that's part of this, because if I'm going to be a part of it, I've got to first deal with what's the priority of my life. Because if I can't get past that, I'm probably going to have a hard time with some of the other stuff we're going to talk about today. So seek, chase after, and then it's directly connected to how we live or practice life. So this idea of living righteously is really where the be a part of it comes alive. It's like, okay, I've I've got a part here. I've got a role. I've got to do something that makes this happen. And so the how we live part revolves around this interaction or this relationship that we have with the king, Jesus. And so as we have this relationship with the king and how we live, all of a sudden this kingdom thing that Jesus is constantly talking about comes alive in each one of us. I mean, it was already real, but now I get to interact with it. I have this daily relationship with the kingdom of God. That's the plan of heaven. All right? So that's what he's talking about. So here's, here's another verse today that I think is key for us. 1 John chapter 2. It says, those who say they live, right? We're talking about living righteously, living in this interactive relationship. Those who say they live in God should, ne- should live their lives as Jesus did. And so we have instruction from John. He said, okay, here's how this thing kind of works. That that if if you're going to be a part, then there has to be this living thing that's happening. And really when he says living, he says this practicing, this this activity of who you are. You're going to be a part of this thing. He said, you got to be like Jesus. You got to be like Jesus. And so here's a key statement. If you don't hear anything else today, hear this one statement. God's ultimate goal for each of us in this room, is not our personal comfort. Like, doggone it. Are you kidding me? It's not. God's ultimate goal for each one of us is not our personal comfort. You're like, well, I thought he was. Well, that, there's some comfort things that are going to come, and there's some peace, and there's all those kind of things. But that's not his ultimate goal. His ultimate goal is for us to be transformed into the image of Christ Jesus. That's his ultimate goal. So in light of that, sometimes there will be difficult circumstances in life to try to somehow help us get to the point that we would be transformed into the image of Christ. And so it's not about the comfort, it's about the transformation. That is the number one goal. And so if we're going to shorten that phrase up, here's what it means. He wants us to be like Jesus. So being a part is being like Jesus. And obviously the question is, what does it mean to be like Jesus? It means to be same as Jesus. Same as Jesus. It's not attaining perfection. I'm not standing up here today and asking all of you to somehow become little gods, you know, that, you know, somehow in a weird kind of way. That's not what I'm talking about, all right? I'm talking about this pursuit, this seeking after the thing that God wants me to be a part of it and fulfilling that in relationship to him, all right? So, so I want to look at a few things, and the three things I've gotten, it's several fill-in-the-blanks, but I think there's three things that can define what it means to be like Jesus, to be same as, all right? Here's the first one. It means to be on the same team, be on the same team as Jesus. You know, and obviously, you've got to ask the question, what is Team Jesus? You know, if we all had T-shirts on today, Team Jesus, on the front, on the back, what's it say? You know, what, what is that? Team Jesus, Team Jesus, you know, whoo you know, Team Jesus. Well, on the back, it says the body of Christ. It says the church, and, and that's Team Jesus. And so to be like Jesus, I've got to be on his team and part of what he's doing in the world. Now, now, the body of Christ, let me try to unpack this just real quickly so we can understand. 
Theologically, there are two realms, if you will, of the body of Christ. There is the universal realm, and that is where we are all part of a universal church that is called the body of Christ. I mean, we're talking everybody on the planet from all times that have been connected to Christ. That is that universal church. It's very invisible, right? I mean, we kind of there's this connection that's happening, and so we're connected to the to the Baptist church down the street, and to Thanksgiving Lutheran, and all these different. It's it's this universal church. We're all connected together on the whole planet, right? But then it's also very local. There's a very local, and, and, and so that gets very tangible. And so we are, by faith, if you have made a commitment to Christ, you step into the universal church. You're part of this huge, big thing called the universal church. But by faith, you are also to be on the same team in the local church. And so now you have these two relationships. One of them is very, very tangible, very visible, very connected. You can see the person. You know their name because we're part of this body of Christ together. The other one, I don't know the people that I'm part of, but they're on the other side of the planet doing the same thing we're doing because we're connected together. There's a team that's happening there, all right? Both of those are very real. Now, the kingdom of God is a team sport, and church and the kingdom of God are interrelated, just like we were talking about. Here's a few verses. Colossians chapter 1 says, Christ is also the head of the church. Okay, he's the king of the church. He's, he's the ruler of the church, which is his body. So get this picture. Jesus, he's the one calling the shots. He's the one doing all the things. And the body, you and I, are the one that function to fulfill what the head desires to do. And so as I'm connected to that, all right, here's another verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The human body, and by the way, this whole text of Scripture is illustrating the fact that we are to be connected on a team with God in relationship to being like Him. So he goes on and says, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. You're like, okay, I get that. All of this makes up one, right? All these pieces and parts connected makes up one. You know, sometimes I wish it was a different one, but this is the one I got, right? Correct? So we, okay. So it is, it says, with the body of Christ, that there is this one whole connective body that is to function as a team. And so that's what he's talking about. So then you jump down a few verses in the same section, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, all of you together, Universal, local, both at the same time. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you has a part of it. And so what I understand is this idea that to be like Christ is to be on the team and understand that I'm on the team, that I'm part of something. I'm part of something big, and I have a part. I have a role, and to not push that aside and blow it off, but to understand, hey, that's what it means to be a part of the team. So all of that gets to a couple of statements from my, just my thoughts. I'm surprised by how many people claim Christ as king but reject or neglect his team. I'm surprised by that. I'm surprised that I say Jesus is the Lord of my life, he's the king of my life, but I don't want to have a whole lot to do with his, his team. That doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Well, at one time, I used to call that decapitated Christians. Got a head, but no body. 
I've got, a, I've got a interaction, but I don't have any function. And, and then somehow I'm doing it. And I'm just going to throw that. I, I'm surprised by that. Because in my mind, it doesn't make a lot of sense. That he would die for us collectively. He would die for us individually. And then we say, well, I don't really want to be that. Nah, nah, nah. I don't want to do that. I don't want to be part of that. That doesn't make a lot of sense to me. So I'm surprised by that. The other thing is this. I don't believe you can be part of God's plan without being part of God's team. You're like, wait a minute, yeah, I can. Well, I don't know. I don't know if that's, I don't know if you can do that. I don't know if it's possible for you and I to truly fulfill what God designed for us to be in relationship to him without us being part of God's team. I don't know. Some of us go, well, I'm, I, you don't know me. It's like, I don't know. I mean, that's, you're, you're stretching scripture here. So, so just some thoughts. I mean, that's just, I'm laying out there. I know it makes us a little uncomfortable, but I think it needs to be said. Lord, help us deal with this. If you want us to be a great church and you want us to be fully devoted to you, then Lord, help us to deal with this thought somehow the right way. Somehow the right way. Let me, let me give you three misconceptions about the church real quick. First one is this. First misconception is church is a place. We love the theater. We love the cup holders. But this is a building. The church are the people. The church, we could meet in the parking lot. We could meet, it doesn't matter where we're at. It's not, it's not about that. It's the gathering of the people of God in, 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 in worship and, and centered around Christ that makes up the church, not a place. See, many people confuse a building with the church, but the church is a gathering of people. It's not a place. It's a spiritual movement. It's alive. It's active because it's something that's moving and stirring within the hearts of people, not a building. But many times we confuse that. Nowhere in the New Testament will you see the phrase, let's go to church. Because it was never a place. It was a gathering of people of God. So over the next few weeks, I'm going to throw out a phrase. And I, I sh- maybe you can write this down in your notes. Over the next few weeks, you're going to hear us throw out this challenge. And here's the challenge. And I think we're even trying to make some t-shirts for it too. All right? Don't just go to church. Be the church. Don't just go to the theater and have a church service Actually, be the church that God called you to be, that called us to be, the local part of what he wants us to be. So first one is that church is a place. That's a misconception. Here's another one. Misconception number two is church is an option. Church is an option. See, many people view church as a suggestion. You know, Jesus had a suggestion for, for this. And, you know, if it fits into my schedule and and I just wrote down in my notes that Jesus didn't die for a suggestion. I mean, he didn't die for that. I mean, he, he, he died for something much more deeper and profound than just a suggestion. He died for something else. Many people view the church in a, in a negative way and, and use that as an excuse not to be a part. Don't raise your hands, but that might be you today. That might be the reason you don't ever participate or get involved in the body and be that team member and that part that you want to be because you've got a checklist of all the things that you think the church is wrong. And I want to stand up and say before you, you're right. And I'm sorry. And I apologize. But it doesn't remove the fact that God still wants to use the church. 
That God still doesn't want to use his body. He, doesn't want, he still wants to use you, and he still wants to use me, and he knows both of us are imperfect, and so there's probably going to be times where we don't do it exactly right, and those are the opportunities that we get to function as a church the best we can. What an opportunity. But see, some of us, we, we think it's an option because we put up the excuse, well, pfft, they don't do it the way I think they should. They don't do it how I want them to do it. They don't, all that kind of stuff, and we throw out all these ideas. I don't know if it holds water. Some people in this one have the Jesus and me approach. Jesus and me approach. I know people over the years that have the Jesus and me approach. And I always try to figure out what exactly is the Jesus and me approach. It's kind of what they're saying, really. They're saying, well, I'm part of the universal church. And I'm like, okay, cool, I got that. But what about the local setting? How, how are you connected there? Well, no, I'm just part of Jesus. Je- Je- you know, Jesus, is not, we're just doing this thing. It's kind of like we're in, a, we're in a dance with just two of us and the rest of you all just watching. It's like, how's this working? You know, and I always try to figure out, and, the, and there's this Jesus and me approach, and the body is only necessary if I need something more than what I have in my relationship Jesus, with Jesus personally. And let me just say it this way. Christianity is very personal. It is. It is a personal relationship with Jesus. If you've never experienced that, it's an incredible, overwhelming, life-changing event to have a personal relationship with Jesus. But it is not private. Never was supposed to be. Never was intended to be. And for you to think that somehow it is a private thing, you are pushing aside the very body of Christ that he said he died for. So, Some people think it's an option. The team or the body functions as a whole, and when it's together, when each part is connected to another. Here's the third misconception. The church is a product. Church is a product that many people view view the church as something to be consumed. We have a church mentality. I'll have a little bit of that, a little bit of that. Can you hold that? And we come in and we think it's something that I'm supposed to consume. And here's the deal. If you're here today and you're exploring the ideas of Christ, then I want to give you everything we have to offer. But if you have somehow stepped down the journey, so to speak, of Christ, and you are in a relationship with him, and you have been for a while, I'm going to say what Paul said to some other people. He said, by now you should be teaching. By now you should be giving something away. By now you shouldn't be here to get, you should be here to give. Because church isn't someplace that you come to consume. Church is someplace where you come to give part of your life back. That's what it's about. And so somehow, Lord, help us to see that it's not a product. It's something greater than that. See, what can church offer me or what can I get from it? And that's, that's why so many people jump from church to church. The reason why people jump from church to church is because Target quote, quote, the church, didn't have what I was looking for today. Didn't have the, the thing I was wanting on the shelf, and so somehow I'm looking for it. And I understand there's times that that makes sense, and there's, you know, there's growth moments and all that kind of stuff there is, but a lot of times it's just very simply church mentality. And so we have to say, Lord, help us to get aside past the misconceptions of what we think. So, so those are the three. Church is a place, church is an option, and there's probably all kinds of other ones. So let me shift gears. So how do we achieve greatness as a team? 
If being on the same team is part of being like Christ, how do we achieve greatness as a team? What are the basic characteristics of a great team? Great teams do things like this. They take practice seriously. They work hard at being better. They're accountable. They understand each other's roles. They accept each other. They encourage one another. They don't give up. I mean, those are all things that the team does that makes it great. You know, here, here's, here's a couple that we can fill in the blanks on. Here, here's, here's the first one. Great teams hold tightly to a common goal. It's all about shared vision and alignment. We all agree on the same playbook. The Bible calls this unity. Not uniformity, unity. We agree on the same play. You know, I'm assuming yesterday during the Nebraska game at the end there, they all knew it was Hail Mary time, right? I mean, there was, you know, it would be really stupid on our part, not to say that we don't have a lot of stupid plays at Nebraska, that we'd say it's Hail Mary time and four out of the five receivers do down and outs. Those of you who know football, that would be pretty stupid, right? And so somehow there's a common goal that we know, hey, right now, this is what we have to do. This is what we're doing. It's unity. All the arrows pointing in the same direction. Great teams lay aside personal goals and agendas for a greater goal. So I, I, I ask myself the question for us here. What's, what's our common goal? What's our common goal as a church? Maybe you're here for the first time. You never heard any of this. Maybe you've been at Southridge 101. I want to invite you to be a part of it. What's, what's our common goal? What, what is that? And, I just, and really, it's, it's found in our values. Here's what, here's what our common goal is, to be passionate about seeing broken people restored. That's our common goal. Our common goal is we want to see the person that is hurting, that is separate, that is broken, that is de- desperate, that is, that is out there and away from, far from who God wants them to be, to see them restored in relationship. That's, a, that's our common goal. To be faithful 24-7. You know what our goal here is at Southridge? Isn't that we just do great church services on weekends. Is that we have an impact upon the people's lives that are part of this local church. That it affects their 24-7 experience. That we live faithfully. It's, it's to be generous. I.e. things like Convoy of Hope, One Day to Feed the World. God wants to flow through us. It's, it's things like being relevant. Getting up and hopefully talking about things that actually matter. Versus just talking the talk. It's, it's things like being intentional. And, and in other words, saying, okay, hey, we want to make sure that this is connected to this. When we run a play, we don't want it just being, hey, everybody run wherever you want to run. Let's go the same direction. Let's do the same thing. It's things like being changed. That's our goal. We want to see every person changed and transformed in the image of Christ. It's being reproductive. I mean, all those things, that's our goal. I mean, so, and by the way, if you're like, I've never heard that before, I want to invite you. Today at 1 o'clock, I will be at the church office teaching Southridge 101. It's amazing. Come on! <laughs> it is good. So, so, that common goal, here's the next one, is maintain a radical commitment to each other. Maintain a radical commitment to each other. In today's world, commitment is almost a cuss word. A spirit of independence is at war with achieving greatness as a team. And there's two thoughts that I want to throw out with, about commitment. And it's this. Commitment says you can count on me and I am accountable to you. That's what commitment says. You can count on me and I am, I am accountable to you. That's what it means to be a part of a great team. 
Here's the third one. Value corporate identity over individual identity. Team is the opposite of individualism. Nothing destroys a team quicker than when people start living by their own rules, on their own schedules, waving their own flags. Team me. It's not about me. It's about us. It's about them. So, enough said. First one then, be on the same team. Second one, be of the same heart. Be the same heart. See, Jesus, he said, here's how the kingdom works. This is how this invisible kingdom works. Jesus came as our example for kingdom living. And when you begin to uncover the heart of Jesus, you see things like passion. You see things like compassion. You see things like sacrifice. You see things like truth, right? That's what you see. And if there was one characteristic of Jesus' heart that was above the rest, it was this. He came to serve. He came to serve. But see, the world defines greatness in terms of power and possessions and position. But Jesus said, I I define it differently. Matter of fact, check out this scripture, Mark chapter 10. And by the way, this is in the context of a kingdom discussion. The disciples were wondering who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. They were having an argument about it. There was like this debate about what's going to happen. And this is what Jesus says when he answers, Mark 10. You know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will, be di- it will be different. In other words, that's not how my kingdom works. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom. So it gives us a picture of what it means to be like Christ. So to be like Jesus is to have a servant's heart. And a servant is always available. A servant always pays attention to needs. A servant is is sensitive to what is going on around them. A servant doesn't make excuses. They serve. Servants give their best no matter how insignificant it might seem. Servants are trustworthy. Servants are willing to be less so someone else can be more. Servants don't seek the spotlight. Servants Servants understand it's not about me. And kingdom servants serve out of love and gratitude. That's a whole mouthful. Servants. That's being like Jesus. Next one, being of the same mind, to have the same thoughts as Jesus. So being on the same team, being of the same heart, being of the same mind. Be like Jesus, all right? Be a part, that's what, that's what he's talking about. So have the same thoughts. Philippians chapter 2 says it this way. I love it in the contemporary English version. It says, think the same way that Christ Jesus thought. Think the same way that Christ Jesus thought. In NIV, I I think it says, have the same attitude as Christ. Have the same attitude. What is the mind of Christ? What what is that? What is the mind of Christ? It's wrapped up in having the same goals and the same priorities and the same attitude. The question is, how do I do it? How do I have the mind of Christ? How do I think like Jesus thought? I mean, how how does that happen? How how does that take place? How do I be of the same mind as Christ? And there's three things I want throw out here. First one is this. Stop thinking immature thoughts. Stop thinking immature thoughts. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 says this. Stop thinking like children in regard to evil be infants. Infants, In other words, remain innocent, but don't think like a child. But in your thinking, be adults. (laughs) My question was when I read this verse, what do children think? I mean, what do they think? You know, I, my, one of my thoughts was this. Here's what a, children do, a child does, right? Hey, watch me. Hey, watch me. Hey, watch me. Right? 
I mean, every time you turn around, they want you to watch them, watch them, watch them, because they want to be the star of the show, <laughs> right? They want to be in the spotlight. They want everybody to notice what they're doing and how they're doing. Hey, watch how, hey, watch me. <laughs> and it's a constant, watch me. And so there's the spotlight thing that children have. Here, here, here's some other ones. What, what do children think? Well, hey, watch this. What's in it for me? You know, that think, thinking process. Whether or not this is fun or not. I was at a wedding last night, and I, I was sitting at a table with a, I don't know, seven, eight-year-old. I was entertaining. <laughs> I haven't colored and did tic-tac-toe that much in years, you know? I mean, and I realized that they just wanted it to be fun. That's what children do. It's, it's, is it fun? Um, here's the other one. When will we eat? Right? When will we eat? Or here's one. Let's take it a whole nother level with the eating. Can we have some candy? <laughs> right? Candy. We want candy. You know? Or, or take it this way. That's mine. You know? That, that thing I want to. So children think thoughts that are self-centered and self-sinking. So, so to get the mind of Christ, I've got to stop thinking immature thoughts and then start thinking mature thoughts. Start thinking mature thoughts. You're like, wait a minute, okay, well, let's, let's think about that for a second. Mature people think about others before themselves. Mature people think about others before themselves. And see, too often we confuse knowledge with maturity, but being like Jesus is more about how I view the, and treat the people around me than how much Bible knowledge I know. See, it, it isn't, you know, a lot of times I hear people say things like, man, I, we just need, I just need to know more, I just need to know more. The reality is, if, if you know this verse, you know, love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself, that's a lifetime assignment. So really, it probably has to do with thinking more maturely about how to live that out than it is to actually have more knowledge about what it is. You know? I mean, it's just, it, it, it's just one of those things that I've got to look at with pretty clear eyes. Mature people think before they respond. In other words, they, they say, what, what's the outcome of this? And, and really, mature people, they always think about others first. Check out Romans 15. We should think of their good and try to help them by doing what pleases them. Even Christ did not please himself. Again, be like Jesus. And then the last one, as the worship team comes, <clears throat> is that we need to shift then. How do I have the same mind? Stop thinking immature. Start thinking mature. Shift from selfish to spirit-inspired thoughts. Check out Ephesians 4. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from Him, all right? So, so if you're in this relationship, if you've stepped over the line and say, Lord, I trust you. Lord, I'm, I, I, I realize that I have a relationship with you. He said, if you've done that, that who, that's who he's talking to, throw off your old nature and your former way of life which is corrupted by lust, which has to do with pleasure, and deception, which has to do with living lies. He said, get, get rid of that, all right? Stop thinking that selfish way. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature created to be, and here's that phrase, to be like God. That somehow the transition of my thought life is connected to my ability to be like Jesus in the way that I'm supposed to be a part of this kingdom. And then it says, to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Live righteously. 
So being a part of something big is not a do-it-yourself gig. It's allowing the Spirit of Christ to have His way in our lives. It's letting the Holy Spirit do a work in us. It's not a matter of me doing it. It's a matter of the Spirit doing it in me. See, a lot of times we get frustrated because I can't seem to do it. Well, you were never meant to do it. You were meant to surrender yourself to the work of the Spirit. It's the work of God in me that allows me to even have the opportunity to be like Jesus. If it was left to you, you would never, ever get there. Matter of fact, Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can't get there. You can't be like me without me. That's what he's saying. So when we look at the verse in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, it says this, and the Lord who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. So all of this rests on this one thought. I got to be on the same team? I get it. I got to be of the same heart? I get it. I got to be of the same mind? I need it. So, Lord, have your way as I surrender this work. So here's the close. There's something big happening. God wants each one of us to be a part of it. There's something big happening right now. God wants each one of us to be a part of it. The first step is making a decision to be like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. Lord, help me. I want to be like Jesus. I want to be on the same team. I want to have the same heart. I want to have the same mind. So what's that mean? I'm committing to the team. I'm acting like a servant. And I'm thinking like Jesus because I'm surrendering to the Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, have your way. Southridge, this local church body. Lord, we're part of something really big, this universal church. But Lord, we're part of something very intimate right here. So Lord, help us to see the relationship. Help us to see what we're part of, God. You want to do amazing things through us and in us and around us. So, Lord, help us to make that critical decision. Lord, I want to be like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. Lord, have your way. Forgive us for the things that we've done that maybe have been opposite in competition to that, Lord. Help us to walk after you like never before. In Jesus' name. with the message today. We're, we're continuing our